everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom 2099. This is your futuristic X-Men podcast. We re-rank all the stories from A to Z. <laughs> People speak in Canadian accents in the future. It's weird. <laughs> I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm actually Zach spelled uh, futuristically. Yeah. In case you were curious. There's a couple. It's like two K's and like a Y in there somehow. Well, there's a lot that goes into how you spell Zach in the future. If you if it's short, it's Z-A-K, which I tried out actually a little bit when I was like 13 and it oh. didn't stick. And I was fine with that. Oh, but if you want to spell it Zachary, like my like my Christian name. There we go. Uh, you go Z-A-K-A-R-I-I in the future. <laughs> Uh, yes. Which is the best way I've ever seen anyone spell Zachary. That's great. I mean, we all need, uh, do you remember years ago, there was that um, meme floating around about make your own Liefeld character and you just like combine two words. Adam, not only do I remember that I have your zine of it. <laughs> I looked yes. at, I legitimately looked at that like a month ago. Cause I was going through some stuff and I saw it. Yeah, I feel like that would be appropriate this episode. Like we should just pair a random word with each of our names. Like you could be Blood Zach. Uh <laughs> I could be like Adam Gear. I don't know. That seems appropriate cuz this week if you didn't catch it from uh Zach's intro, we're talking all about X-Men 2099. I have been waiting to talk about <laughs> X-Men 2099 since Years. we started this podcast. I know. <laughs> We've gotten to talk about the X-Men of 2099 once back when we did our episode about uh the x-men blue cross time uh capers where i got mad because in the grand 2099 tradition uh they got none of the 2099 continuity right right and it bothered me (laughs) hey fun fact here are the people who care about x-men 2099 continuity john francis moore Uh uh-huh me yep end of list maybe me now i i I think i'm converting you you know, it was really funny because we we were talking to some of our Comics XF colleagues about this, about doing this episode, and people were like, "Yeah, it's not, it's not great. You're not gonna love it. It's bad." And then I started reading it. I was like, "Oh yeah,", yeah and then I kept reading it, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" And then I kept reading. It. I was like, "Oh." <laughs> So finally, by the time I just got done with issue, what is it like twenty five or something? I'm like, "Oh, I'm in. I'm in." <laughs> The thing about X-Men 2099 is that if anyone told me they thought it was bad, I would say, yeah. Oh, it is. But it's yeah. so fun. X-Men 2099 is a smorgasbord of ideas that John Francis Moore is throwing out there. It is not the book you expect it to be. And yet it kind of, I think parts, there's a lot of it that still get an indelible core of X-Men that I really appreciate in that is a lot harder to pull off than just being like, and here's future Wolverine with laser claws. Oh, it doesn't do that at all, which I I was, you know, very impressed by. I mean, having never read the book and having only looked at, you know, what this character, uh, what, 
what the characters on this team look like. I was like, oh, okay, so this is a team book, and the leader of the team is a guy with a skull on his face. And um, folks, that guy's name is Timothy Fitzgerald. <laughs> ah, Tim. <laughs> and Timothy Fitzgerald doesn't get that skull mask for like what 10, 12 issues. It's I think most? it's issue 10 is when he gets the when he gets the I forget what they call it. It's like a digital tattoo or something. It's absolutely insane. This I love is... Skullfire. Guys, bring... <laughs> I know it's great. It's great that Cerebra is tentatively in the regular Marvel Universe now. You know you can go back to our episode with Steve Orlando from last year. You know I'm excited that Brimstone Love is around and that we're going to get more Brimstone Love content. But give me some Skullfire, baby. <laughs> I love Skullfire. He... He gets all of the good parts of Ghost Rider, which is being a non-fire skeleton. But then he's also an X-Men character. And I don't hate it like I do uh, Vox Ignitus. Um, okay, so I feel like we're getting already into the, the meat of this. So, Folks, who- folks, last episode, and again, love him death. Connor is the nicest person in terms of his podcast is very much for if you've never read X-Men. Love it. Appreciate it. It's great. We're assuming that you have already looked up a picture of the X-Men of 2099. (laughs) And you're just going to have to roll with us here. We're going to do our best. But you, you know, I get excited. This is going to be fine. Uh, But we, we should probably say who requested this because we're going to start with X-Men 2099 one to three. Uh, that's from Eric Cotton. Uh, Eric went over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, dug deep down into his hearts and pocketbooks, tossed a couple of coins into our coffers, said, folks, you should talk about X-Men 2099. And you know what? We did. Eric Eric uh, took the 2099 challenge where we said, let us talk about X-Men 2099, please. Somebody <laughs> request it, please. I think we did that a year ago, and yep. it has finally come to fruition. Oh, not folks. just this week. It's coming. We got a couple folks, of episodes like this. We got some 2099 content coming. <laughs> we, the, the dam has been broken, and we will be we will be exploring uh, a lot. But first, we must we must gather. Yes, and gather so we shall. Let's let's uh, head on over to the Nuevo Soul Arcology, where a rave is taking place. Um, that's the first thing you need to understand about X-Men 2099. It opens with the rave scene from matrix reloaded (laughs) pretty much. Uh, you want to, maybe we should introduce the cast here just so people who are unfamiliar with these characters have a better idea of who we're talking about. Um, So we've already talked about Skullfire. Timothy Fitzgerald. They never call him Skullfire. His name is never call it. It's just like, Hey Tim, what's up? (laughs) It's one of the things I kind of love about this series is uh, John Francis Moore is not all that interested in these people being superheroes. Uh, And again, do you know what this has? This whole run really has the same spirit as to me. Um, The gifted TV show. (laughs) Like random. No, but you're close. Side quests. Uh, I was going to say the post Siege Perilous era yes. of Claremont X Men. Yes, it's this. It's the same. Like, yes, it says X Men on the cover. Yes, there is a team, 
but they're not going to do team things. They're kind of just going to go off on their own in pairs of two and three for a while. And we're going to see what happens. Cause you got, you got Tim showing up at this rave. Uh, first he meets the bouncer junk pile who is a robot. Strangely important junk pile made up of junk. junk. Yeah. He's a, he's a mutant robot thing. I don't know. He's sure. It's weird. There's Cerebra who is a, the living Cerebro. Mm-hmm. Uh, she can find me. She, she, she has Cerebro powers. Yep. Her name's Shakti. Uh, I like that. They her. never call her Cerebro. They don't. There's Serpentina. Uh huh. Who they do call Tina. Mm-hmm. She has she has snake tattoos on her arms, and she has. I assume she got the snake tattoos after her mutant power to have a giant inflatable robot <laughs> or giant inflatable flappy arms came into uh, effect. Yeah, she's got Reed Richard arms. There's Metalhead. Love this. Guess what? He's uh he's a metal. He's he's like an absorbing man. Um, yeah. And his name's Eddie, like, Ed- like Eddie from Iron Maiden. <laughs> He's also the, um, basically the percussion and musician of this rave. He has yeah. like these minority report style screens around him, um, that he is just like making music with somehow and everybody's jamming out. Mm-hmm. There is uh crystalline crystal, mm-hmm. uh, Chris, they call her. Uh, who is, she is a crystal make, she makes, she's an ice man, but she makes it out of crystals and not ices. <laughs> right, right. Uh, there's Mean Streak, who is Quicksilver, or mm-hmm. North Star. Yes, his, Sim. he's never called that either. They always call him Henri. Um, Henri, Henri Huang. Huang. Yes. Uh, where is he? I'm trying to. Where's he from? Yeah, I'm trying to remember where he, well, I mean, like, he's American, but. That is that is one thing. The whole team is very diverse in a way that even uh, regular X Men is not. <laughs> yeah, even today, there's yeah. one. There's one boring white guy. Well, no, there's two. There's also Bloodhawk, who is the Wolverine of the team. Yeah, not actually blo- a member of the team. <laughs> Bloodhawk is like, yeah, I don't want to be part of your team. <laughs> Bloodhawk is this. He's the weird red. He's a weird red dude with Deadpool skin. He's in wings. A, yeah, he's like an ugly red gargoyle that shows up once in a while and then just leaves. Now the leader of the team <laughs> is a character by the name of Desert Ghost. His name is Sean Shishan. They call him uh, Desert Ghost. Where did they call him that? I missed that completely. They call him Desert Ghost on the trading card, Adam. Oh, okay. Because they don't say that in the book. I don't think even once. No, they call him Sean in the book. Yeah. The entire time. Yeah. Uh, to be clear, before someone gets a wrong idea, this is while spelled the same as uh, Karma. Mm-hmm. This Not- is a this this is a Chinese character. Yes. And Xi'an is a like, I know it's a city in China. I assume it's a name also, but I can't be a hundred percent on that. I don't know, but it's just- at least a word with sounds you can make in Chinese languages. It is um, not the same character, which is the important part. So we have our He's the leader of the X-Men. Well, he is an interesting character because he is trying to put together a team of X-Men. He doesn't actually have a team. There is no team yet. And he's doing this because of the legends of Xavier and Magnus. And then uh, the historical kind of 
benefactors of the X-Men. So other people in the last 100 years have tried to put together X-Men teams, most notably a character named Zhao, um, who comes back later in the series. We'll talk about him yes. on a different 2099 episode. Yes. We're not talking about Master Zhao. Though, when I read this for the first time, I think I think Sean's uh, speech where he talks about all of the leaders of mutant kind you see, they say, we learned this from Xavier. We learned this from Magneto. We learned this from this person. Like, oh, these are people on the level of Xavier and Magneto. It would be really cool to explore them. And then John Francis Moore immediately says, by arc three, we're going to explore one of them. We're going to do that. You're right. I like how he sets that up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so our villains for this team um, is where I started to really get hooked on the book is because what we have as their backdrop in the first arc is an evil future Las Vegas run by a family of cowboys. There's the, uh, what is the old guy's name? The Noah Singe. Yes. Singe Noah Singe. Um, and then his, you know, nepotistic children. Um, one of whom is addicted to, you know, to what is it called? Spike or what is he addicted to? Future um, drugs. It's yeah. future drugs. He's addicted to something. And then that's Lighten. <laughs> yes, there's Lighten. And then why am I blanking on everybody's name right Desdemona. now? Desdemona. Thank you, Des. Um, who are both, you know, very interested in assuming uh, their father's place when he is mysteriously killed. What people need to know about 2099, it is cyberpunk in the way that was like cyberpunk before that just meant neon. Uh, it's cyberpunk in that, yes, corporations are evil. They are taking over the entire world and we have to form some sort of resistance against that. The greater Nevada syndicate is part casino, part drug runners, part general gangsters, but they're all above board because they are a corporation. And mm -hmm. in the world of 2099, most famously with Alchemex in the Spider-Man stuff, but it's a constant through line in everything in 2099. Corporations are have caused the destruction of the world and everything that's good in it because of their unfettered capitalism. Yeah, it's very anti-capitalist. It's very pro-environment, right? Very pro-environment. Like, um, I know that the ozone layer was a big deal at the time, but it feels like it took a bit for the rest of the world to catch up with this environmentally like sustainable thoughts. Yeah. I think the other thing worth noting about this uh, entire universe is that things are very tightly knit. So characters will disappear and then you'll see a little editor's note, like go follow Bloodhawk and Spider-Man 2099. And then, Oh, this is happening because doom 2099 did this in his book. And then we're getting to that. Yeah. We have to, we cannot talk about, we cannot do the prestige of Doom 2099 <laughs> for those who do not know what the deal of Doom 2099 is. There's there's just a lot of, of um, crossover, you know, like things are happening because this is definitely a shared universe. Anyway, so um, while well, Sean... and that, that shared universe, I want to be clear, that's all coming from uh, Joey uh, Cabaret, who is the editor on all of these uh, 2099 books, had a very specific vision for them. Yeah, that's, that's pretty clear. So um, at the end of the first issue, Sean has an assassination attempt against him. Um, 
and he is barely rescued by Timmy Fitzgerald. Uh, and you know, they think they're going to save him. He basically, Sean kind of like pulls himself into kind of a red, almost like a Phoenix, uh, cocoon of some kind. Uh, while the rest of the X-Men realize that junk pile is the one who betrayed them and he's a traitor is, is working with the singe family who is again, still trying to figure out who is in succession, uh, to their father after his death, which that alone is an interesting part of the story. And, uh, I, I really, why that is this premise. the first X-Men comic you're telling in your new future X-Men book? I don't understand it, but I love it. Yeah. So, um, at the end of, you know, well, unfortunately junk pile does fridge one of the X-Men. Um, okay. The cover to number three makes me laugh so hard because right. like X-Men 2099 was promoted. Like they had a lot of material about it and they say one of these characters will die. And if you look at the cover of the first issue, <laughs> or if you look at the quarter box of the second issue, or if you look at any of the marketing material, you can look and say, okay, who's been introduced? Well, Junk Pile's not on there, but Junk Pile's a bad guy. And oh, mm, hey, Serpentine, I'm really sorry, but you're uh you're you're not making it. <laughs> right. You're not in the uh the two-page pinup spread in the first issue. That pinup rules, by the way. That Ron Lim pinup. Can I tell you a fun story about that? I would love to hear a fun story about this Ron Lim pinup. Okay. So the pinup appears in the middle of two pages where Henri and I, I think it's crystal are breaking in to the Las Vegas casino. <laughs> and I really thought that the team burst through the wall. <laughs> that rules. <laughs> and then I flipped the page and I was like, wait, this doesn't make sense. That just looked like Henri passed them. Oh, it's a pinup. Oh, okay. See, I've recognized that pinup ever since I saw it and obsessed over it in my DK's Ultimate Guide to the X-Men. <laughs> where I said, oh, yes, X-Men 2099. They seem like they're an important deal. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, Junkpile does kill Serpentina. He breaks one of Bloodhawk's wings. But Sean is able to come out of his cocoon. And now he has two hands. One hand. He has a secondary mutation. Yes. One hand. Because he used to have a, a destructive touch, which is why they thought that he killed Noah Sinch. Hey, it turns out Noah's Noah's crappy son killed him. That's Who saw that right. twist coming? Yes. Uh, but now but, Sean has but now, a golden hand, which will heal people. So he heals Bloodhawk's wing. And Bloodhawk immediately is like, yeah, I, I'm out. <laughs> Peace. I don't want to do this. I have to go. Bloodhawk's like Wolverine. If Wolverine was Greenzo from 30 Rock, <laughs> in the fact that Adam, you understand that fills me with such joy. Um, oh. That was that was David Schwimmer's uh, environmentally friendly yep. and corporation friendly character uh, on 30 Rock, who did turn into a environmental uh, anarchist within five minutes of having attention. It's beautiful. Al Gore's in that episode. It's a weird Love one. It. Love Want it. to see a weird relic of 2007? It's there, baby. I got to go back and watch that show at some point. I just rewatched 30 Rock. Uh, we just actually finished it last night. 
boy, that has better writing than The Office and did not get the credit from lay people that it deserved, even though they both came on at the same time. Also has significantly more blackface than The Office. Definitely. There's there's a lot in 30 Rock. Cringe factor there. Um, Okay, so this is the first three issues. Um, Why don't we try and rank this on our big old list? Yeah, let's do it, because we have a big old list, as Adam alluded to, where we have been ranking every X-Men story from best to worst of all time, with the number one X-Men story being the House of X, the Power of Ten, the number 200th X-Men story, or 100th, excuse me, being X-Factor, The Longest Night, uh, 200th being that Dracula issue of Uncanny X-Men, uh, 300th being the first arc of the Wolverine solo uh, with the Black Blade, then it's Exalted, uh, the lead-in to Greg Pak's Extreme X-Men and Astonishing X-Men at 400. Number 500 is X-Men Colossus Bloodline, that time we find out that Colossus is a Rasputin from the Rasputin family of Rasputins. Uh, number 600 is X... Is X-Club really at 600? That can't be the, the X-Club. Nope. X-Club is at 60. I My equation was wrong. Oh. This makes more sense. 600 is X-Men Die by the Sword. Okay. Uh, 700 is the... Hey, I didn't. I, my equation was wrong again. 700 is the Shatterstar saga. Again, this makes way more sense now. And our bottom story, the 738th best X-Men story is the Draco. It's also the worst X-Men story. All right. So I, I think this is. I am. I'm around 400 right now, and I'm curious whether this is a 300 or a 400 story, because Here's the thing about this. This is interesting. And I don't very interesting. I don't know that it's good, but it has hooked me. And as I continue to read this book, I think I will rank other arcs maybe a little bit. I don't know if I'll rank them higher or or around the same, but I want to give this credit for actually being pretty engaging when I didn't. There are so many ideas that John Francis Moore throws in here. He has like mutants should be a community as his opening thesis. Yeah. Like he does a lot with it. He has a lot of thoughts. Are they all well executed? Oh, heavens no. But like, you know how much credit we give somebody for trying. Absolutely. So, um, this is better than that. Greg Pak, uh, lead into extreme X-Men. I'll say that for a fact. All right. So we're in the three hundreds. How far up do we want to go here? If I was a stinker, yeah. Adam, if I was a stinker, I'd say we should put it at 299, but I know that's wrong. Oh, that's funny. But that's only going to change over time anyway, but it's definitely not that high. It's um, not. I I have we you and I have two different stories highlighted right now. You have 348 Astonishing X-Men until our hearts stop. I think a story I just did that by has accident. Well, I think that that's better than this in terms of the overall writing, I think is a, is better, even though that art is atrocious. Uh, We have, I have ambient magnetic fields from new X-Men 132 highlighted. Mm -hmm. I think that is probably better overall than this. Okay. Yeah. I think we're in the right part of the list. I think we're better than dark rain. The list Wolverine number one at three seventy. Um, is this as good as 368, uh, that arc of Weapon X with Sabretooth in charge? 
No, because that's when Sabretooth gets a, gets, a, gets a baby tiger. Okay. So I think this is better than Secret Avengers number 16 at 369, where Beast does a genocide. Okay, that doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> that one time that nobody really remembers. That, that yes, that time Warren Ellis had, no, that other time Warren Ellis had Beast do a genocide. <laughs> this was a light genocide on Beast's part, to be fair. Go back to that episode if you want more. Uh, but this is our new number 369. It's X-Men 2099, one through three, The Gathering. And Adam, right. yes, we had a, we had another story planned for this, and then mm-hmm. we had to do an audible uh, because it better fit for a different future episode. It's a smart so, audible. So um, we're going to do the arc we originally planned on doing next next week, um, and you'll see why. But um, where are we going to go next? We're going to go to one of my one of my favorite characters in 2099. <laughs> So, Adam, do you know about the first 2099 crossover? It's a crossover between X-Men, Spider-Man, and Doom, I feel like. Also Ravage and Punisher. Okay. Oh, it's everybody. Okay. I don't know if Ghost Rider was going yet. That's the one question I have. Uh, I can't remember. If Ghost Rider 2099, where Ghost Rider was a computer virus. Jeez, 2099 rules. It's amazing. Uh, It was called fall of the hammer because in 2099 there has been a new religion sweeping the nation and that is the old religion of the asgardians yeah thor is worshiping them and the thorites <laughs> uh again that concept rules love oh, them really does uh especially when it's um put in contrast with the revive the the black panther revivalism of people who are not necessarily Wakandan, but are. No, they're like, from Oakland. Yeah. They're very explicitly from Oakland. Yeah. It's, oh man. Like they're, they're more literal black, like um, not, you know what I mean? A literal the, black Panther. The Black animal, Panther party. But yes. the Black Panther party. And it's, oh, that's really interesting too. We get that in this arc. Uh, follow the hammer because we'll set up context. People tried to revive the Norse gods uh, using capitalism. And it didn't super work, except for it did turn one of the guys into one guy from Alchemax into uh, 2099 Loki. Sort of. He's he's a shapeshifter who has taken the form of Loki. He's not well, actually Loki at in that crossover. He was Loki, right? He then got thrown out of a casino and had a bad day. And he is now. Halloween Jack, baby. And it's the 2099 Joker, essentially. He is the 2099 Joker. Uh, Did you know Halloween Jack is in the 616? No. What? How? Since the 90s, buddy. Oh, cool. It's never really been explained. Let's say yes, because it's more fun that way. He was in some some issues of John Francis Moore's uh, X-Force. Okay. Great. I don't remember why or how. I just love that it is. Because what we're what we're covering is the Halloween Jack arc. It's X-Men 2099, 16 through 20. Halloween Jack, his name's Loki or Jordan Boone. He uh he looks like he does actually look like Joker, but from that animated series where Joker was wearing a straight jacket and did monkey kung fu. <laughs> yes. He does kind of look like that. He He's kind of a mix between the Joker and uh, James O'Barr's The Crow. Um, mm-hmm. And he's neon. Oh, green. he's got a crow face. 
Yeah. He's neon green. He's got all these sort of like capey things coming off of him. Um, and his goal is relatively simple. He really just wants to, uh, disrupt the entire, um, you know, laws of physics of Las Vegas and just kind of turn the city upside down. He, that's his whole thing. He's doing that with the help of his friend, mean streak, Henry, they used to work together and Henry's dealing with the fact that a, this did used to be his friend. Also his friends doing some wicked stuff and he doesn't know how to deal with that. He's just along for the ride. And and that's, you know, who could blame him? And this is part of the, um, I think of the, the joy of this book that um, we referenced before in that it's not necessarily a team book. All of its characters just kind of go off on these like very strange solo adventures um, because at the same time we've got Henri and Halloween Jack, like you said, we've got uh, Crystal going off and, this is just as wacky going off on an adventure <laughs> to rescue her uh, Black Panther brother who's been abducted by these like anti-establishment radicals who are the, the mixing, free radicals. They're mixing literal hallucinogens into the acid rain to make it literal acid rain. Like, you know, when they had <laughs> quotes, it's acid rain. I was like, okay, you got me there. You yeah. got me there. It's Garen Crystal hallucinogens. Uh, they've they've released their acid rain on uh, the the Bay Area because the soldiers of the Panther. Well, Crystal's brother Zach. Yes. Uh, Z A K. Zach. It's Zach. His name is both Zach and Zachary again, just in 2099 form, which is funny. Uh, they are. You know, she's meeting up with her estranged brother at her father's funeral. Her father led the Soldiers of the Panther, which are a essentially the 60s Black Panther Party. Uh, but if they were inspired and re-inspired by Wakanda as a concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting, especially given the fact that, like, I don't know about you, man, but I don't remember Wakanda or Black Panther being like a going concern in 1994. No, not like, at the all. The kids weren't talking about it. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, you can look at this through a a 2020s lens and and think about sort of the way in which Black Panther as a character has evolved. It it really is an interesting concept. It's one thing I really like about what John Francis Moore does, even though his execution of it is not perfect. He is tapping into a lot of the same ideas that will later become big ideas in comics and pop culture and media 20 years down the line. You got there first for a lot of things. Well, I think that's really cool. The other thing that I just appreciate about the book in general is that the book is constantly introducing different factions and those different factions are always relatively interesting, you know? So maybe there's a native American tribe at some point. It's pretty interesting. You know, maybe there's a group of, you know, reconstituted, uh, scientific, I mean, science project X-Men, they're pretty interesting. And here we've got Thorites. They're interesting. You know, the radicals are interesting. The, the, you know, like, so. Um, what about the deadheads? The deadheads are, oh my God. I think I shared that when I was reading the book because it just made me smile so much that there was a Grateful Dead inspired group of hippies who they're high 
on going to virtual reality dead concerts, essentially, right? Like, yeah. That's what's going on. This is a weird X-Men book. That is awesome. Like, just conceptually, that idea is so awesome. And it's what it what makes it even more interesting is that it like it seems as if the dead that they are worshiping may not even be the original. Like, yeah, no, they are. They're definitely not the actual grateful. Like dead. they may actually just be worshiping like a cover band version of the dead. And I yes, mean, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Crystal to rescue Zach has to go rescue um, Billy the Kid. Uh, <laughs> who is a free radical soldier right. that has been captured by the soldiers of the Panther. And they're like, no, we're not going to give him up. He's a terrorist. He's a child. Well, in their defense. He's a child he's a- with a tattoo that says rad to the boat on his arm. <laughs> He's also a mini me forge. Like he can build just about like, he's got a backpack full of weapons, you know, and he uses them for pranks. Yes. Yes. So this arc, um, Desdemona does try and stop Halloween Jack, um, through a variety of different ways. Um, we have, he does not a hostile mentioned, takeover of her Las Vegas. Casino. Yes. We have not mentioned the rat pack yet. And I feel like we have to talk about the rat pack. Adam, I think you're really, I think you might be the world's number one Rat Pack fan. And I love that for you. The Rat Pack are so, so stupid and so 90s. And the fact that they are named after, you know, this group of, you know, entertainers from decades in, in like at the time, our past. And yet this is a hundred years in our future. And there is this group of four people who bear no resemblance to Sinatra or Dean, uh, you know, or Sammy Davis jr. It's basically just three guys and a little person. And they all have like cable guns. They just show they, up every once in a while. And they're kind they of are funny. The, they are the 2099 enforcers. Uh, they are, they are the future equivalent of Ox and fancy Dan. Yeah. Their uh, names are Mr. Entertainment, suicide King dealer, and I don't remember what the last one's called. Uh, Squid? No, that's that's like a. That's the other thing the book does is it has like uh, future curse words, like squids oh. and shock. So it kind of does a Battlestar Galactica thing, like with frack. So people it's say great. like, "What the shock?" You know. <laughs> Again, folks, I'm telling you, 2099 is fun. It's interesting. I actually, I think this might be my favorite arc that we are going to talk about today. I love the idea of the uh, soldiers of the Panther and the free radicals and this weird factionalism that just builds up the world of 2099. You get the idea that there is not really any constants or normal people have found their groups and they're just trying to get by. Yes. Um, If there is an issue with this, I think part of the issue is this arc doesn't have a super strong ending. Well, this goes directly into the next arc, which we're going to talk about in a second, which um, the you would think that the arc would end with Halloween Jack kicking on his reality disrupting machine, um, which is called the unreality something or other. Um, It's something from Spider-Man 2099 that I did not go back and read. Yes. Um, But the arc does not end with that. It ends with the announcement that 
Doom is president. So we'll get into that in a second. It does. It does at least wrap up the uh, it like it gets to a stopping point with the Halloween Jack stuff and it wraps up the stuff with Crystal and her brother. Yes. For the most part. Absolutely. That's one thing you see in how more paces this book is. It is again, bury that era of Claremont where the A stories and the B stories start to flow into one another and start to overlap. And it's, there is not a clean line. It's just continual forward motion. Mm -hmm. Um, And that makes it difficult for this show, but I tend to like it. Yeah. Uh, We have not talked about the art yet. Um, We haven't. I want to talk about Ron Lim. Yeah. Ron Lim, um, who I think most people know from the time that he did silver surfer and then jumped in for George Perez on infinity gauntlet has been for decades just kind of like a mainstay of of Marvel house art, um, is literally going to draw every issue of this series. Ron Lim's going for it. And whereas the first three issues, I think, are a little bit bland, and he's kind of playing it safe, as the series progresses, Ron Lim displays some of the skills that you saw him do with the more cosmic stuff in silver surfer. And it really works pretty well. Is he the perfect artist for this book? Maybe not. However, what I will say is that I think because of his like stick with itness, and he is on every single issue, it brands the book in a really good way. The other thing I want to note about this is that by the time we get to this arc versus the first arc that we just talked about, we're starting to see uh digital color cell separations being used that yeah. amp up the, the, the neon quality of the colors in this book. And they go through pretty much the end of the run. It's a huge improvement, you know, whereas the first couple issues look a little flat, um, and a little tame for this world, it does start to catch up with itself. It oddly, and I think part of this is just the nature of what we think of as 90s zeitgeist and mm-hmm. like overall pop culture, not just comics. But those Malibu colors really do add a, oh yeah, this is a future book. Right. Because it's it's that what we thought was going to be the future and then we realized we had to tone it back because it actually looked bad. You get that everywhere. But then you also get characters like the Free Radical Soldier Days. I was just going to say, he's a living, all he is is an outline, and then he's filled with digital color effects. It rules. And people, we can just pull the idea of Days into the regular regular continuity now. We can just say, hey, look at this cool design that Ron Lim did. <laughs> yeah. So um, I agree with you. I think this is better than the first three issues. And this is... I mean, the, the arc that we'll talk about next week was, was kind of the beginning where I was like, Oh, this is kind of interesting. This is, I think you're right. This is where I'm like, I'm in on this book. It's, it's starting to fire on a lot of cylinders. It's doing a lot of things. Most of the X-Men do not appear in this. No, (laughs) it's not an X. It's not a team book. It's constantly shuffling between these different subplots. And I think that's, I think the book is better for it. Here's where I am looking. I think that this is better than Happenings in Vegas from X Factor. That's yep. where they go and go to Hella's Casino in Vegas. Yeah, I would agree this, with that. This is probably 
not as good as say I'm gonna say it's not as good as uh X-Men 27, a song of mourning, a cry of joy, which is the Threnody uh issue. Yeah, I would agree. You know, obviously everything we're talking about here really has no no bearing on the larger X continuity for the most part. It, you know, no almost... one has ever cared about this. <laughs> right. Even Steve Orlando, bless his soul. Yeah. Steve Orlando, who is doing his best, made his own X-Men 2099 and all new 2099 continuity because he was like, I, I can't expect people to like care about Halloween Jack. <laughs> right. Can't. And I am I I I understand and I wish that that wasn't the world we live in, but it is. Um Steve Orlando cares, right? But Steve <laughs> but I got to imagine that Steve Orlando has a lot of thoughts about all of the X-Men 2099 and tried to make it work, but instead just try decided he would try and make every disparate version of 2099 work, yeah. which is an admirable task. And I'd care more if I cared about any version except for this one. Yeah. All right. So I do think this is better than the Axis arc of Deadpool. Um, so would this be our new 347? This will be our new 347. Great place Folks, for it. If you if you're if you're someone who's like, actually that Threnody issue rules, you're gonna love 2099. <laughs> All right. And we're not done. We are not done. We have the arc that comes immediately after this, um, which happens concurrently with Doom becoming president. Now, for those who may not know, Zach, <laughs> you just, explain you just dropped that so casually. Uh, you're talking about 2099 AD after Doom. Yes. Uh, so Doom is president, but for folks who don't Doctor know. Do- Dr. Doom 2099 is president. Yes. Who is Doom 2099? Great question, Adam. He's <laughs> Dr. Doom. He's not a future version of Dr. Doom. He is 1994 Dr. Doom got sent into the future. And now he's like, guess I'm going to rule this place. And what's interesting about Doom 2099 is that Dr. Doom says, actually, this sucks. I'm yep. a fascist, but I'm going to make this place better. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, this is too, this capitalism is too evil for me. I'm going to figure out something better for these people and be the hero doom that they deserve. He's still Dr. Doom. He is still Dr. Doom. Um, He has a, you know, a slightly different look to him, but he is in charge of shield. He is essentially going to send out these um, environmental machines that are going to kind of cure the environmental disasters that have been doom become president. First thing he does is be more progressive on environmental policy than any Democrat ever has. (laughs) That's true. Again, we're talking about the fascist dictator of Latveria, Dr. Victor Von doom. Yep. Um, so that's all happening in the background. Um, he deputizes a junk pile, um, who we thought, I think we thought was dead, but is not dead. Um, as a, he, as he a, can regrow himself, right? He can regrow himself into a junk pile. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Tim, who shows back up here, is not happy to see junk pile. Just no, like vibing. No, 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 no. But um, basically, junk pile is sent to go and thwart a part of what is believed to be a front for 
theater of pain. Now we, have we not... haven't talked about the theater of pain. Yes. The theater of pain run by brimstone love and uh, a small cadre of villains. Um, what is the theater of pain, Zach? The theater of pain is, you know, the hellfire club. I do. This is like, what if the entire point of the hellfire club was the S and M stuff? Yeah. Uh, mainly, <laughs> mainly it's, the it's statism part. Some love from Steve Orlando's Marauders. Yeah. So um, essentially they have a huge audience of very, very rich people that just love watching sadism. And yeah, so they plug all of these like poor hapless people into these misery machines, if you will, and turn it up to 11. It's crazy. Like Brimstone love for people who didn't read the Marauders uh, annual and don't know what he looks like. He basically looks like Tim Curry from legend. He has the giant demon horn sticking out of the side of his head that are like 12 feet long and a giant Cape. He's just, that's basically what he is. I love Brimstone love. What a, what a, like, listen, you look at him and you know what he's about immediately. Oh, he's a devil man. Right. He's, he's the devil. So, um, there, there has been, there has been for the theater of pain, a long running subplot about Sean joining the theater of pain. Right. And is he going to, is he actually undercover? What's happening here? It turns out he's just kind of like, whether because he got messed up or what, He is just joining the theater of pain to do their evil plots. Yes. He in an arc that we'll cover next week. um, It's, it's revealed that he has a second kind of evil personality and that he bounces between these two. And when we see him here, he is most definitely in his evil persona um, and essentially trying to join the theater pain theater of pain so that he can take it over. And now all of these, he different... thinks brimstone love is too kind and progressive, <laughs> right? He likes the power. He wants the power again. This is a very horny concept. <laughs> so all of these different, um, mini groups of characters that have all been going off on their own subplots finally all come together here to help. Except for, except for metalhead who is off given helping someone give birth metalhead is fist fighting with a character who I'm not kidding is named glitter spike. <laughs> glitter spike. <laughs> uh, again, in a totally different arc, glitter spike <laughs> is the deadbeat boyfriend of, of this, this pregnant lady that metalhead has left the X-Men to go on a pilgrimage with so that she can find a place to raise her child. And he becomes, you know what? He doesn't like the word stepdad, but he's the dad who stepped up. He's the dad who stepped up. That's for sure. Um, So that's what's happening with Metalhead. And then back at the theater of love, we have all kinds of stuff happening, right? Um, We have not talked about La Lunatica, um, who is my (laughs) favorite X-Men 2099 character. One of the former theater of pain. Yeah, Yeah. she's, she's a former theater of pain member. She's crazy, and she takes Tim from this white bread into a guy who gets a face tattoo. (laughs) That is, with three days, she... Listen, listen. I don't want to be vulgar on this podcast. (laughs) 
but he gets a taste and it's so good that he gets a face tattoo immediately. Dude, La Lunateca is such a great character. She is mean. She is flirty. She is fun. Like, she has no time for any of the X-Men's nonsense, which is actually a very common uh, trait of everybody in 2099 who does not want to be an X-Man. Yeah. So, unfortunately, in going back to the Theater of Pain with Tim, um, she's confronting her former sisters. Brimstone Love is claiming that he's her father or related to her somehow. She doesn't believe that for a second. Um, So, all of this kind of bad stuff is happening. Tim gets stuck in a Star Wars... um, like junk pile with uh wait did i say junk pile with junk pile junk, yeah he gets you remember that part in the trash, compactor, the trash scene. compactor yeah yeah they do a trash compactor scene they they do that except it's with like i don't know like some kind of liquid that's gonna that's gonna make them disintegrate or something tim basically blows through a wall all this stuff is happening so that at the end the team can finally come together and defeat sean and Sean's like, where am I? Oh, I guess I did a bad thing. They're like, yeah, bud, you did. Um, Brimstone Love teleports away. Everybody's pretty good at the end of this arc. Doctor Doom gives them a like a like a city to be in charge of. Then yeah, he's basically like, he's like, hey, oh, you're great. Here's a new status quo. <laughs> Would you like a plot for the next couple of issues? Because I've got one. Um, we didn't mention that Halloween Jack's plan. Um, to turn off physics in Las Vegas does work. And Dr. Doom is basically like, oh, you can't turn this off? No big. What I'm going to do is just set up a force field around Las Vegas. You deal with this so that it doesn't impact anybody else. And I'll come back and check on you. (laughs) Dr. Doom says, this is your problem now. (laughs) I don't know what you did. I don't care. (laughs) It's Las Vegas. It's fine. The city sucked anyway. Halloween Jack, please fix this. <laughs> he does not. I have other, I have my own book to do. <laughs> he doesn't fix it by the end of the arc either, I don't think. I don't know when Halloween Jack actually fixes it. I, I don't know. I don't know. So this is probably the closest of the arcs that I've read to get ready for this episode. And next, this is probably the closest the book comes to an actual team book. Because yes. you have all the different groups coming together and uh, teaming up to go and, and defeat the villains of the book. So, Even Bloodhawk. Yeah, Bloodhawk comes back and he's like, I'm, I'm an X-Man. I'm here. Good, you know what? Good for Bloodhawk. I'm glad. <laughs> Bloodhawk was off doing a Doom 2099 plot. <sighs> they really thought this he, is a he weird Wolverine because he's always in other people's books instead of his own. He really is the wolf. <laughs> like he's on top of all the marketing material. And the problem is Bloodhawk's design is terrible. Oh, he's ugly as hell. He's like just covered not, in oils. It's they tried to make an action figure design and they failed so miserably. By the way, if you want X-Men 2099 action figures, I've got great news for you. This was Toy Biz was making action figures of anybody who wasn't a lady. They're they're there, right? Don't don't they have a few? They have a bunch. Uh, La Lunateca is the girl oh, of okay. the action figure set. Well, you know. if if you want to know how they thought about Crystal or Shakti, it's La Lunateca immediately becomes the character who gets them. I think Brimstone Love does get one. Really? Uh, There's a Brimstone Love Toy Biz action figure. I think so. Hold on, I'm That's pulling it up. There's, they made six. Um, it's Metalhead, Brimstone Love, La Luniteca, uh, Bloodhawk, uh, Mean Streak, and Skullfire. Okay, good, good pick. But 
the metalhead is is Eddie's secondary mutation look, not his better original look. Oh, interesting. I don't understand so many things about Adam. toys bi- toy biz action figure selections. It's it's very bananas. And the fact they never made the maggot figure is really sad, you know? They well, they were having some money. I know that's that's when they started to go bankrupt. So. Hey, there's a maggot figure now. I have him over here. He has the eyes of a killer. <laughs> and the have smile you ever, of a friend. Have you seen the maggot figure, yeah, Adam? Like in person? Like at a I think I did see him at Target once. Look into his eyes. They are terrifying. <laughs> Um, Look into his eyes. The the uh, the figure does come with a uh, bone breaker, yeah, figure head, yep, which has bone breakers sunglasses. And I have thought about drilling little holes into my maggot so that he could wear the sunglasses, so I don't have to look at his eyes. Oh, he doesn't come with sunglasses. No, the maggot doesn't come with sunglasses, which is fair because maggot doesn't wear sunglasses like as part of his superhero costume. No. But generally, but he has them like up, like he has I, um, Jubilee glasses. You know what I may have? And I don't know they, if they would fit on this, but um, I think I have an extra pair of Marvel Legends Jubilee sunglasses. I wonder if they would fit. I I bet that the Marvel Legends line uses the same sunglasses design where you just need little dimples. Yeah, that's head. what I'm wondering. I don't know. I, get, un- I could just use, I could just use the bone breaker glasses that I just showed you. <laughs> yeah, but then th- do they come off? Yeah, they come off. It's the oh, same thing. Okay, all right. Then yeah. I'm not mailing you I, these pink sunglasses. Adam, <laughs> I bet you they're the same glasses, just in black instead of probably, pink. Probably, probably. I, I, I have worked with enough injection molding devices <laughs> in my time to tell you that's probably what they did. Yeah. All right. So, um, I don't know if this is as good as the Halloween Jack arc, just in terms of. I don't uh, think it is. I. But it's definitely better than the first arc. Is this better than? Uh, Colossus God's Country. Mm, no, I don't. That's at three fifty nine. I, I also don't think this you. is as good as Trial of Gambit at three sixty. Well, wait, you don't think this is as good as Trial of Gambit? I mean, it's about I think the it's, same. I think we are in the right part of the list. Yeah, yeah. This is. I think this is better than Spider Man and the X Men four through five, which is about the Venom Brood. I agree. Mm-hmm. I like this better than Amazing Nightcrawler. I like it better too. And I think this is probably better than the uncanny arc with the Sidrian hunters and the star jammers. What do you think? I think that it's my podcast and your podcast. And if we want to make this our new number three sixty one, no one can stop us. Nice. Folks, it already happened. We recorded this days ago before you got mad at us. (laughs) No one's mad at us for putting uh, X-Men 2099 in the lower half of the three. Come on, Adam, my friend, Adam, who I am recognizing is Adam with my voice. So people know (laughs) that I'm Zach and you're Adam, Adam. People get mad at us about weird stuff sometimes. I try not to pay attention. I, Uh, I don't know about anybody getting mad at us um who could get mad at us no we're adorable us lovable scamps yeah we we're we're adorable x-men 2099 is adorable you know it's It's, great or it's i don't know bloodhawk's not but (laughs) bloodhawk is not an attractive man um and i like i don't find too many men attractive bloodhawk's bloodhawk's not making me reconsider my sexual preferences Listen, Zach, I know that you can tell a handsome man when you see one and Bloodhawk ain't one. So Bloodhawk, even when he turns into his human form, he's just like a weird looking dude. 
he's just kind of like a bald gi joe uh, action figure he's just like, he, <laughs> man of all the characters know. to get stupefied by that is that is there are so many other weird things that happen in this book for us to get hung up on the red gargoyle looking guy is kind of funny you know i bet i bet if I bet we could figure out what John Francis Moore is up to these days and talk to him at length about X-Men 2099. I bet he would love it. That'd be, I would get a kick out of that. Um, So again, who do we have to thank for uh, a great episode here? Eric Cotton. Thank you, Eric. Uh, Do the stuff I said at the start of the episode. It helps keep comics XF going, helps me and Adam have an excuse to talk to each other every week because we both, we both thrive on structure. Uh, (laughs) So this is great, man. Adam, imagine if we just like called each other to talk about comics we read instead of making Without sharing content. it with anybody. It's just a text. What if thread? we just didn't hit record and it was just like, hey, we're hanging out. We're we're friends, Adam. We could just call each other. It's There'd been be six something years. Like fairly psychopathic about us, like doing an hour long presentation that we then didn't share with anyone. And yet we've done it before. Hey, it 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 happens uh, more than you'd think, but. Yeah, I'm looking forward to looking at more X-Men 2099, bud. What do you got going on, Adam? What's what's new in your neck of the woods? Anything the folks need to know about? No. Um, guys can always head over to Instagram, um, adam.rec, if you want to just kind of see what's going on. And uh, what do we got going on next week, Zach? Next week, we're talking about times that the X-Men uh, had to fight versions of the original five X-Men. Love we're it. getting weirdly specific. Yeah. This is going to be a fun one. I love when our episodes are difficult for us to find three stories with such a specific uh, confluence of events. And yet we are able to overcome that challenge and we find them. It makes me happy. It makes me happy to talk about these silly things with you. We are comics detectives, if nothing else. But not detective comics. No, 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 no. Not detective comics, comics. Or just, or just like stand-up guys who also solve crimes on the <laughs> TMTM. Do not steal. I'm going to pitch that to HBO Max real quick because they're the they're the Detective Comics Comics company now. So sure, as well as the Magnolia Joanne Gaines company and the. Hey, can we talk about that for one second? No, we're not getting on to a Chip and Joanna <laughs> Gaines soapbox. The answer is I don't have to care, and neither do you, but we care about you, our great listeners, because, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience. Get